you would stand with me and turn in your Bibles to Malachi chapter 2, verse 17 through chapter 3, verse 18. We'll also read our key verse, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then Malachi chapter 2, verse 17 through 3, 18. You have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? By saying all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. Or where is the God of justice? I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant, whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness, and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by as in former years. So I come to you and put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive the foreigners among you of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, then there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, said the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. You have spoken arrogantly against me, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? You have said it is futile to serve God. What do we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly evildoers prosper, and even when they put God to the test, they get away with it. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. On the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, these will be my treasured possession. I will spare them just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. Let us pray. Hide me behind your cross, Lord Jesus. Articulate the Father's heart through my voice and let the Holy Spirit breathe new life to us, opening our ears to hear the message of God. Amen. You may be seated. It was almost exactly a year ago when I began planning this series. 
I wanted to give us an opportunity to hear all of the things that are happening in the Old Testament and to talk about God and how he acts through all of Scripture, through the storytelling histories and prophecies and law and poetry. This journey through the Old Testament, through the 39 books that comprise the law and the prophets that Jesus and his companions and rivals talked about, has been helpful for me, and I hope for you, and as we have encountered people and places that you have seen the reality of a God whose love is not new or built on something fragile or something that we have to earn or find for ourselves, but it is instead something that is the whole reason for human existence. And that the answer, in the long run, to all the troubles and haunts and breaks that we have in us, is God's love demonstrated to the world around us. That is not to say that we are able to do that fix on our own, or that as we have gone through We have seen the full fix that God put in place, the resolution to the challenges of humankind is actually found in Jesus. All of the Old Testament points to that. Reading only these 39 books, you read about the sacrifices, the rules, and the temple, but none of these are finally effective in writing the relationship the people need and God wants. In fact, we've come to the end of the Old Testament. This is the last book in the Old Testament. Next week, we start reading through the Gospels and through the New Testament as we continue on our journey through all of Scripture. But this last book comes at a time when once this book is silent, there is a period of 400 years that pass between this promise of the Messiah, and the actual arrival of the Messiah. We call it silent because there's no moment where we hear from God again until Jesus is born. But it's not really silent in the sense that there is no word from God. Because the people have actually taken it upon themselves to make sure that they have this scroll of remembrance. And in that scroll of remembrance, they will begin actually living some of the things that they have been told and talked to about. As we enter the book of Malachi, we find that the people of Jerusalem have been returned from exile. They had been in Babylon. They've returned from exile after the 70 years had passed. And as we've read in the preceding test, they had been building the temple, rebuilding the temple. They've actually done that now, and it's been a period of years. They've been living in this community. They've been doing what they're supposed to. But we find that they've actually kind of missed the mark a little bit. They've started doing the worship. They've started going to the temple. They've started giving their sacrifices, doing all of the things that they're supposed to do, except that 
Not quite. Earlier in Malachi, Malachi says, um, God isn't really all that thrilled when you promise him that you're going to bring your best goat and you bring the one that's sick and blind and diseased. God isn't really pleased when you do that in hopes of changing your relationship with God. Because God doesn't deserve our second best. Or God doesn't deserve our worst. But instead, God deserves our best. And really, what it comes down to is the hearts of the people are not yet right. They've tried to build the relationship half-heartedly at best. But Malachi says, look, um, I hate to break it to you folks, but God is kind of annoyed with you. <laughs> He's kind of, uh, kind of aggravated. And God is annoyed because you're complaining about God's justice, but you're not willing to do justice. Uh, uh, God is annoyed because they tithe. By the way, tithe means 10%. But what they bring in are the last and worst of what they have. God is annoyed because they see following God as a useless endeavor. Because the people who aren't following God are prospering. These aren't new complaints, by the way. These aren't things that are new to this group of people, right? When we talk, when we see them complaining about God's and God not being just, we know that, that there have been other places where prophets have made that lament on behalf of the people. We saw that in Habakkuk. When we have seen, when they, when they say that they are annoyed because they see following God as a useless endeavor, we have seen that in other places too. Even David in some of the Psalms laments that God is letting the evildoers prosper while the righteous are failing. But these are things that they are calling out God for that they aren't actually living righteous lives when they're calling God out for them. These are heart problems. These are things that when they're asking God, they're asking from a point of contention instead of a place of submission. They would... They act like they're faithful. They do things that make it seem like they're faithful. They go to church. They throw a buck in the offering plates. They pray. But in their hearts, they would rather be anywhere else. They would rather be doing anything else. And they would certainly rather not give or serve or be a part of what's happening. There's a, a series of Stephen King novels called the Dark Tower series. And Stephen King is maybe a little bit profane in some of his works, but one of the things he usually extrapolates is this idea of good versus evil. It's something that he talks a lot about in his books. He's trying to figure it out a lot of times. But in the Dark Tower series, there is a country of very chivalrous people who have knights, and it is the responsibility of the knights to protect all the people. 
And of course, knights are still human, so they frequently screw it up. And when they do, they wind up in trouble. Because family lineage and pride is such a big component of their world, they have a mantra they use when they are about to go into battle. It's something that they say that reminds them who they are and gives them confidence and pride. And it is, remember the face of your father. And when they have been in trouble, they're told, you have forgotten the face of your father. It's actually a really big insult in the book. If you're told that you have forgotten the face of your father, it's kind of a big insult. And it, and it generates shame and guilt because that means that you're not doing what you should. And it really is just about the idea of not doing something that goes against everything that you know and not disgracing the name of the one who gave birth to you, who put you in your place. And it fits really well when we think about the people that Malachi is talking to. They have forgotten the face of their father. They've forgotten the name of the one who has given them all that they have. The one who has brought them out of exile and back to where they are, helped them rebuild the temple. But not only that, had brought all of their people out of Egypt, had carried them through the wilderness, had brought them into the promised land where they rest right now. God has been there for their people all the way along. And when they are complaining about these things and still bringing their least to him, then God says, "Mm, no. No, 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 no. You are not committed. You are not faithful. You have turned away from me. God says. And God is annoyed. God is annoyed because they are complaining about God's justice but not willing to be just themselves. God is annoyed because they tithe but what they bring in are the last and worst of what they have. And God says, You have forgotten justice in pursuit of gain. You have forgotten to give your best in pursuit of keeping what you have. You have forgotten to serve for God's sake. So you have no rights. You have turned away from me. But God also tells them that redemption is coming, that the Messiah, the one they have been waiting for, will come. Because God always makes that promise throughout. We've seen it all the way along. Every single time the people screw up or fail or don't get it right, God says, you suck, but hope is coming. You really frustrate me, but the answer is on its way. And he doesn't fail to do that here. The Messiah, the one they have been waiting for, will come. And the people in this case actually respond 
Malachi says, they write a scroll of remembrance, a list of the things they need to pay attention to, things to keep their hearts in the right place. God calls the people to faithfully do worship, but only if they are intentional and thoughtful about it. And when they do, God promises blessing. When they seek justice, God will bring justice. When they tithe, God promises an abundance. When they serve, God promises they will be a treasured possession. In all these things, God says, turn your heart to me, and I will reward your faithfulness with mine. And for 400 years, they do all the right things. Even in the silence, they follow the law faithfully. They become very different than they were at the outset. They kind of create this code around the laws that they've been given. 613 mitzvot is what it's called in Hebrew. Good things to do. Most of the Jewish people still follow those today. If you were to reach out to someone who is Jewish, you would find that they do many of these things. But Jesus came to the people and said, I see that you're following the rules. I see that you're doing these things. I think not all of you have your hearts in the right place still. That's because following the rules in and of itself doesn't transform what you do. It doesn't change your heart. The rules aren't bad things. God gave them the rules. But Jesus specifically tells the Jewish leaders in his day, almost to call back exactly to Malachi, that while they should absolutely keep following these rules that they have laid down, they need to remember that they do them for the sake of loving God, not for the sake of being seen doing them. Luke 11.42 says, Woe to you Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. And so we see that Jesus gives us the admonition that when we follow rules, whether set for ourselves or set by God, the priority has to be that our heart is right first. If we are going to church or praying or giving, for the sake of doing the right thing, but we don't love God and love others, we miss the mark. We should do all those things. We should worship and give and serve, but we should do it as a way of loving God. The good news is that you don't have to try to do that in your own power. That God wants to be in relationship with you enough that he has sent his son to tell you how to do this. He has sent his son to tell you that you can love simply by following him. And when you follow Jesus, you will find that loving God is part of that. And God's promise is always that loving God is rewarded. 
I encourage you, as you think about how you love God, to think about how you could do the things that God has asked better or more fully. How can I, how can you, how can we show God our love this week? It's time to pull out your blue sheets. If you have them, follow along with the bolded parts. I'd ask you to read the bolded parts out loud. (laughs) What does it mean to say God loves? To create us, to form us from the dust. To let us fail, to let us choose our own way over God's. To let us chain ourselves to sin and defeat and heartbreak and sorrow and death. To provide a rescue, a way back. Through wanderers, murderers, adulterers, defaulters, promise breakers, foreigners, strangers and lovers. To show us mothers, judges, kings, and prophets who loved and spoke for God and kept reminding us of the promise of redemption. To show us how evil and wrong continually mess things up and how obedience to God fosters holiness and bestows blessing. To send us Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, to preach and live peace, grace, hope, joy, and love. To see Jesus rejected, to see him die, to see him buried. To raise Jesus from the dead and send the Holy Spirit to remind us of all we have in him and empower us to live like Jesus. To want us to live like Jesus, an abundant life infused with all the fruit of the Spirit, redeemed, free, loved. To still let us choose our own destiny. To promise the hope of forever, of resurrection from the dead, and final judgment. God loved us enough. God loves us enough. God will always love us enough. For God so loved the world. God loves you. God wants you to know it. God wants you to live in it. God wants you to be able to love others because you know you are loved. God's love is expressed to us every week, most tangibly, as we gather at this table. The Son who died and yet lives gave everything so we could know the depth of God's love. So come, drink the wine, eat the bread. Know you are loved. God loves you. Go, love the world with him.